Welcome to Investor Insights, the wealth management podcast where we address investor needs, help you enhance your financial situation, and explore all parts of a person's financial life. And now, the host of Investor Insights, Mike Williams. Hi there, it's Mike Williams with Genesis, and welcome to Investor Insights, our latest podcast episode. Uh, This one is titled, The Ghost in the Corner. And I think you'll kind of get a sense of why we titled that as we go through the information of the day. Um, We've talked uh, recently about trade ranges and markets tend to enter these periods where, and what do we mean by trade range? A trade range is when a market uh, goes back and forth in a relatively small trade range, a, a small distance on the chart, if you will. Um, let's pretend for a moment the S&P 500 is trading at 2,000. Well, if it traded between 2,000 and 2,100 and it did that back and forth and back and forth and back and forth for months at a time, that would be called a 5% trade range, meaning the 100 points is about 5% of the market and it's trading back and forth, meaning it's in a range. Now, Uh, In previous podcasts, we have discussed what a trade range is for. I want you to kind of remind yourself of these things in your mind. Um, The purpose of a trade range or any corrective wave in the market, most people think it is designed to tell you horrible things are happening in the economy. Well, sometimes that can be the hint. But what's really taking place is short-term investors, I take that back, short-term traders or people um, referred to as the weak-hand trader who obviously reacts very emotionally to a downtrend or a trade range or a market that just simply stops going up all the time. The, the angst rises, the nervousness, the tension. Um, dark pictures start forming in one's mind. So what takes place in that kind of environment is that you end up seeing stocks move from short-term traders' hands to long-term investors' hands. In other words, as your horizon expands and the time that you permit for your investments and wealth steps to unfold, your perception of risk changes. Whereas if you are a short-term trader, and you bought that stock for 12 days, well, any movement down is a gigantic risk. Um, But we like to live by the adage uh, that once uh, spoken by Warren Buffett, and that's this. He said once that if you can't imagine yourself owning a position in a company for 10 years, don't even think about owning it for 10 minutes. There's some real wisdom in that. The point is, is that We want to look at these trade ranges as opportunities because here's what happens in a trade range. Stocks indeed move from short-term thinkers to long-term thinkers. We often refer to it as moving from weak hands to strong hands. And when that process is done, you'll find that trade ranges notoriously break out to the upside. I often get a kick out of people who fear a trade range that's been going on for months 
that somehow the market is now going to collapse. I, I can attest to you after 30 plus years, the market does not wait to collapse. The market does not wait to sell off. It does not pause so it can go down later. It pauses on a continuation up. That's when trade ranges take place. They're digestion periods. Maybe the market has gotten a little bit ahead of itself. Maybe, maybe we have a pause in strong financial numbers. Maybe some of the economy is affected by some outlying event. In any process, what it really means is the economy is maybe on a different beat than the, than the market is for a short period of time. And then it continues to move on upward. Now, <clears throat> we've noted this tension and the very lengthy trade range that's unfolded since about November of last year. It's been about five and a half to six months. And we've talked about the idea that you can tell the trade range is having its effect. Remember, it causes people to become more concerned. How do we know that? Well, we know that by a few uh, indications. Number one, over $8 trillion has now accumulated in personal bank accounts in the United States. In other words, consumers are standing on $8 trillion of concern. That's what I call a big cushion. That's nearly half of the annual GDP. That's a lot of money. In fact, if you look at money circulation, it's, it's stated that a dollar moves five to six times in the marketplace. So the cycle of money growth if we spent that $8 trillion, that would be nearly three years of our annual GDP by the time it sifted through all the hands of the economy. Now, the other thing we know is that people have been selling their equity mutual funds at near record pace. They are terrified of these new record highs. They are still very, very nervous and the nightmares of 08 and 09 and the tech bubble of 15 years ago now still rest just under the surface. We know that by how they are acting. We know that by how much money is in bank accounts. We know that by how gold acts, how bonds act, how they still buy more bond funds than they do stock funds. Even after the market has rallied 11,000 points from the lows reached in the Great Recession of 08 and 09. Now, how else do we know? Well, this is very special about this particular podcast. The most recent AAII bullish sentiment readings have come out. And I would attest to you, I'm going to describe this chart to you, but I will tell you, if you have a moment, jot down our email, info at genesisinvestor.com. Take a minute, send me an email, ask me for the chart of the AAII bullish sentiment through May 22nd. Ask me for that because you're going to be uh, very surprised at what this picture looks like. Now, they say a picture is worth a million words. Well, I'm going to try to give you some of those words to give you a sense of what this picture says. There are readings every week from thousands of investors across the crowd, Psyche, and they tell you how they feel about markets at AAII.com. They either feel bullish, bearish, or neutral. Technically, there's also a column for, I think a correction is coming. That's included in the neutral reading as a percentage. Now, what's vital about this is that the latest reading 
shows 25.2% are bullish, meaning 75% are bearish or are concerned about a correction. Now, why does that number matter? I'm going to give you some other periods of time when the number was as low as it is now, okay? Early 2013, thousands of points ago on the Dow. Early 2012, thousands of points ago on the Dow. Early 2010, many thousands of points lower on the Dow. And staggeringly, early 2009. Now, when I say early 2009, we must remember that was the end of the market collapses all over the world and the end of the debt crisis and the real estate crisis and the stock market crisis and Wall Street going bust and banks going bust and the government having to bail everybody out. In other words, the world was indeed ending in a lot of people's minds. But here's what's fascinating. The bullish reading back then was 22, and now we're at 25. Yet, the Dow Jones has moved over 11,000 points higher than where it was when it was 22% instead of 25% in the bullish category. We have watched now a record number of weeks where the bullish readings are below normal capacity. We have watched nearly eight months of the neutral and bearish category being larger than normal capacity. Historically speaking, whenever we saw these characteristics coming together, the market was not only not in trouble, but it was about to start another wave upward. In other words, the surprise is still to the upside. And as bizarre and scary as these indications sound, the public has a very, very poor record of being psychic. Uh, they tend to think they can understand the future. They do a very lousy job of it. So we can learn a lot from this information. I mean, you do remember where we were in March of 2009 as an investor. I mean, people were jumping off balconies. Um, in a word, these characteristics coming together at record market highs is something I have to admit I've never witnessed in my 30-plus years in the business. If I were looking at this data and did not know where the stock market was, the last thing I would tell you is that it must be at a record high. That would be the very last thing in my mind. So you can see how perplexing this situation is. I can imagine the crowd psyche has become so confused they don't know which end is up. But more importantly, they're suffering what we call altitude sickness. Altitude sickness is a reference we give when the market is at a record high. You see, when a market's at a record high, one is unable to capture a feeling of control about where it could go. Since it's at a record high, the only thing our mind can play tricks on us with is that it can come down. Our mind can't get wrapped around a number we can't see yet. But if I've got a market that is below its previous highs, then I know where it can go. 
because my mind tricks me into thinking, well, it can go back to where it was. And for some crazy reason, we feel safe with that because we think we know the parameters and we're in control of some piece of data so that our mind doesn't think we're walking on eggshells or thin layers of ice and at any moment it's going to break. But reality is this. We're always walking on thin layers of ice. We have been since the day we started. We don't know what the next minute's going to bring ever. We can trick ourselves into thinking we do, but that's not the truth. Same way in markets. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. All we can do is understand and judge how the crowd feels, what sentiment looks like, what money flows look like, how the economic data looks, and what is it meant in the past. And all I can tell you is this, that right now, right this minute, ingredients are such that the upside remains the surprise because everyone is ready for the downside. Markets generally don't do what everyone is ready for. So what's next? Well, I think we have to continue to keep uh, track of this, um, of this, of this sentiment, uh, just unbelievable uh, ingredients of this sentiment picture. And again, I would attest it would help you, I think, if you have a minute, send us an email, info at genesisinvestor.com. I want you to see this picture and let it burn into your mind because it'll make you feel confident of the future if you look at history as any indication. So, what's going to happen next? Well, look, uh, it's Memorial Day weekend. Uh, We certainly hope everyone enjoys their Memorial Day, have safe and happy times with family and friends. Uh, But more important, we're coming into summer. I used to sail a lot, and the summer was referred to as the summer doldrums. You know, when you're sailing in the middle of the ocean in some race and you hit the doldrums, there's no wind. The water is smooth as glass, and you sit there because you're in a sailboat, and you need wind to move. The market kind of hits those parallels in the summertime. Things slow down. Volume dries up. Volatility can pick up a little bit, but it's usually the second or third string traders on the trade desks. And most people are away on vacation. Kids are out of school. People are at the beach. They're traveling. They're in their car. They're on a plane. They're in the airport. Or they're in some hotel or resort or beach somewhere having fun and being unproductive. (laughs) So sometimes we get what's called a summer swoon. Usually it happens somewhere in July or August or spread between the two months. And very often it's the low of the year. Just look back in history and you'll see what I mean. And people love the idea that they miss the summer swoon so they sell in May and go away. We're kind of the other side of that coin. We try to express to clients you want to be around when things are cheaper. It's foolish to buy them when you get back already rallied back up. So, we can expect some choppiness, but we should pray for a summer swoon. If we can get a setback wave, ideally in the middle of summer, as I said, then it should provide a solid window of opportunity to build for the long term, for those investors with a long-term perspective in mind. Well, why would I say that? In a word, Generation Y. The baby boom represented 78.2 million people. And we now all know how they impacted the world around us for the last 30 years. 
creating massive opportunity, massive new businesses, massive growth channels, and very significant wealth for those who followed them and got in front of them as those waves unfolded. Now, here's the kicker. Those born between 1985 and 2005 are what we call Generation Y. Anybody have a guess as to how many people were born in those 20 years in the United States of America? How does 100 million sound? So think about this. If we know that a giant bubble of people, 78 million strong, moving through an economy like an egg through a snake, caused as much growth as the baby boom did, then I attest to you, an egg of 100 million people, or nearly 25% larger, will have even a more significant impact. There will be more opportunity. There'll be more growth. There'll be more shifting. There'll be more sectors with bigger tailwinds. It demands patience and discipline. So if you thought 78 million people caused a big bang, let me tell you, the bang that's going to come from 100 million Gen Y people is going to be much bigger. It's going to keep people surprised. It's why secular bull markets do what they do. They keep you off the bull market. It's like a bronching bull. They're designed to throw you off as quickly as possible, keep you afraid, keep you on your heels, and make you worry about new highs all day long. Slow and steady wins the race, though. We got to be patient, we got to stay disciplined, and we got to keep our eye on the big secular waves of demographic change because that's what's going to change the world as we know it over the next 50 years. And by the way, all of the people that will command the direction of this planet for the next 50 years are already alive. We just have to watch them grow up, stay in front of them, stay at that doorway they're all going to walk through, and we will, we will get more than enough opportunity to build wealth. But again, I close with this idea. Something this big that takes this long to unfold demands patience. It demands the discipline to wait and take your shots. It demands the ability to understand these bigger pictures and ignore the day-to-day media-driven hype that causes so much hysteria and drives so many to freak out about their portfolio on a very short-term basis. The long-term picture for the United States is the most positive in the world. While everyone listens to all the bad news, let's have a good summer. Let's wait for the summer doldrums. Let's hope for a summer swoon. And let's take advantage of it when it gets here. I look forward to seeing you again soon at the next episode. And listen, may your journey be grand and your legacy be significant. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you soon.